0: We'll <laughs> be Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. And the talk you're about to hear is from our current message series, Is Like?, ancient parables for a modern faith. So let's get straight into it. We as a community at the moment
1: are in the midst of a series. I have to be honest and say that I've missed a fair chunk of it because I've been on holiday, which is just a real, a real hard thing to do, you know? <laughs> so while you were all here in 8 Degrees last week, I was, I was, just, I was on a lilo in a pool in Palm Springs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I can tell you it was great, it was good for my soul, and it's, uh, it's really going to help you today as we, as we dive into the Word together. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, we've been, we've been doing the series, I've been following it along uh, with the podcast, it's, it's been fantastic, and we've got, if you're visiting this morning or if you haven't been around for a while, we've got this sort of overarching theme happening through our year of your kingdom come. We're pressing into the kingdom, the kingdom of God narrative a little bit, really looking to unpack it and understand it and look for the movement and the activity of the kingdom in our midst as a community this year. And part of that has been to do a bit of a focus on the kingdom parables. And so we've been working through over the last uh, last three weeks. If you've missed any of them, you can check them out on our website, svc.org.nz. And um, it's just been a really great thing to be able to unpack these a little bit and really look at how these ancient stories play out and into our modern lives. And so uh, if you're just joining us on that journey, welcome. It's so great to have you with us today. We are going to be based almost entirely in Matthew chapter 18 today. So if you've got um, uh, an old-fashioned paper Bible, um, you can turn to that now, put your finger in there. Or if you've got your phone, um, if I see that little glow sort of on your face, I will assume you're on the ESV Bible app or the NIV Bible app and not Facebook, okay? But you can turn to that. And as you're turning to that, uh, I'm just going to open up in prayer real quick. So Heavenly Father, I invite your Spirit to just come and be with us this morning. That we would, be, we would be aware of your, your gentle whisper and that you would draw us towards you as we dive into your word together. Draw us deeper into your story. Draw us deeper into your character. Call us towards the beautiful, the profound, and the amazing that is the kingdom of God. Draw us towards that, I pray. Amen. We are going to be starting in verse 23. And moving through to 35. Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Ooh, it kinda goes from like really interesting to really challenging very fast, right? It's a pretty full on piece of scripture but I think it's fascinating and it's interesting and it reveals a whole lot. And so we're gonna dive into this just a little bit. I wanna, I wanna highlight how important I think the very start of this is, this little bit of dialogue that takes place between Peter and Jesus. So Peter asks his questions, you know, how many times can my brother sin against me? How many times do I have to forgive him? Essentially what he's asking Jesus is, hey Jesus, when am I allowed to start hating this dude? Right? Like at what point is it okay to just be angry at this other human being for what they have done to me? And Jesus, and he, seven times, uh, seven times Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 77, right? Now, Jesus isn't creating a new like literal law here. He's not saying it's 77 times. He's, like, he's almost like being a bit playful with Peter, right? Almost like giving him a little nudge. It's actually 77. But then he launches into this thing. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. Therefore, it's like whenever Jesus says, therefore, we've got to pay attention to it because he's about to go into something. Storytelling mode, master storytelling mode. He's about to unpack something for us that we should really listen to and pay attention. So it all springs out of this dialogue. How is it that we respond to what has been done to us in the world around us? The way we are treated, the, things that, the atrocities that have happened to us, the sufferings that have been inflicted on us by others, how do we respond to that? At what point is it okay to just be angry and bitter? And Jesus launches into this story. It's important as well, um, and I think this would have been unpacked a little bit in earlier weeks as well, but... The kingdom of God is, is everything that Jesus is, is really focusing on. It's at the core of his, of his teaching and His mission. Everything that He does and everything He teaches is pointing us towards this new reality, this agenda of God, the effective will and reign of God happening on earth. It's, it's, this, it's this coming thing. This is what Jesus is looking to inaugurate. So every time He, he says a parable and He starts it with, you know, the kingdom is like... He's trying to capture something of the heart of God, and it's not that he's just trying to give us a, a list of rules or, or like a teaching, and you know take this take this teaching literally, word for word. What he's trying to do is, is is to captivate our attention, to call us into this into this story, right? To capture our heart that we might, I don't know, we it's such a hard thing to to articulate, but you know that we might catch something of this vision, that we might be swept up in it. This is what these parables aim to do. And so the kingdom of heaven is like this king, sorry, uh, it's like this king who goes out to collect his debts. And we stumble across this story of a man who owes this king 10,000 talents. Now, uh, a talent is a lot, all right? I think I've spoken about a talent before, but a, a talent was effectively. Uh, One talent was effectively 20 years worth of wages. That's what it it roughly worked out to. So 10,000 talents. That's still kind of like an arbitrary figure for us. It's a little bit hard for us to wrap our minds around it. So let me make it a little bit more modern for you. All right. I didn't turn this on. Um, This is Snapchat. Who here has heard of Snapchat? Right. I was going to try and use like Instagram or Facebook, but they're like, they're like, they're astronomically valuable. Snapchat is an app where you send photos to another person and they can look at them for six seconds and then that photo disappears. Right? That's essentially what this, what this idea is. Do you know how much Snapchat is worth? Any guesses? How much this, this company's worth, this app? <laughs> Not Denarius. <laughs> 10,000 talents. Yeah, It's actually worth, um, it's worth $22 billion, $22 billion US dollars. This is how much this app is worth, 22 billion US dollars. Now, let's say I had a stroke of genius, okay? And I was like, I wanna invest in Snapchat and not just invest in it. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, majority share, I wanna be the majority shareholder. So this would work out, 12 billion dollars would work out to be roughly 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, if you're pretty good at and quick at maths, is 200,000 years worth of labor. That's not spending any money on food or my mortgage payments or anything else, just as all my salary pouring in to servicing my debt for Snapchat, okay? Like it's just crazy, we live in a world where like things are incredibly inflated. Snapchat's worth $22 billion, for me to have $12 billion worth of it, I would need to work 200,000 years nonstop pouring everything I had into it, just to be the majority shareholder. So let's say I convinced someone to lend me that money so I could do that, and then imagine, Now that that's happened, Snapchat falls over. No one uses it anymore, right? No, we only want to use Facebook and Instagram. Well, that'd be a big problem for me because suddenly I'm in the hole for 22, sorry, 12 billion dollars. That's terrifying, right? This is the scenario that Jesus is painting. The funny thing about Jesus as a storyteller is he uses these like ridiculous and absurd um, stories to paint something meaningful and exquisite to draw us towards it you know he goes to the ridiculous extremes in order to reveal something of the character and nature of God and so for anyone who was listening to this story it's like 10,000 talents what are you like what are you even talking about you know 12 billion dollars Calvin you're in the hole for 12 billion dollars and you want to know what's funny about the story? So now, so now we're kind of, we're there, right? We can, sort of, we can sort of figure out how big that is. This guy says, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. <laughs> it's like doing some quick math in your head. It's like, well, maybe I can, maybe on top of doing my pastoring, if I just went and packed shelves at a countdown this week, I think, you know, carry the one, you know, like, or something, you know, like, just like, it's a ridiculous notion to think that you could, you could service that, Oh, you know, please, please have mercy on me. Like, I, I, I will pay you back everything in this moment. As soon as I can, I'll, I'll pay you back. So this is, what, this is what Jesus does. He uses this crazy example. And this guy who legitimately thinks that somehow, if he could just get the king to give him a little bit more extra time, he could somehow service this incredible debt. You see, it's a ridiculous story, but it's taking us towards something. Um, what's really fascinating as we move is that we, it's, we see that the king experiences this moment of pity, right? So this guy's begging, and the king says, well, you know, I would throw you and, and your family into prison, you know, sell everything you had. That's what you would have to do. And this guy says, no, no, please, have mercy, have patience with me. And it says that the king has pity, you know, oftentimes when we see the word pity in Scripture, um, it comes from the ancient Greek word, uh, ilios. All right, but that's, and, and ilios means like mercy and compassion, but that's not the word that's used here. I'm gonna like struggle with this one because it's, it's a real doozy. Splunkinos, <laughs> it's full on, right? I'm sorry if, the, I, if there's a Greek person here and I've just totally butchered that. Highly possible. But here's the fascinating thing about this word is that it's, um, it's, like, an in, it's like an intestinal response. It's something that happens like, like deep in the gut. It's something that is felt, right? It's not just a sense of like, oh, feeling compassionate and empathy for the, the other, this other human. Like it's this really deep thing. And the other fascinating thing about this word is that the root word of it is also used for the term sacrificial meat. That's kind of a bit nerdy, right? But very interesting when we think about the story of Jesus, the Lamb of God. A little bit off track there, I know, but fascinating nonetheless. But it's this, it's, this, it's this deep, instinctual, guttural response to the person in front of him. This is what this king has. And in a moment, it's just like, it's, it's okay. You don't need to pay this. The, the switch has flipped, right? The game has changed in this moment. Because suddenly this idea of like checks and balances is out the window. It's no longer a thing anymore. So what's Jesus saying that the kingdom of God is like? The kingdom of God is like pure, unfiltered, undeniable, unbelievable, beautiful, profound, meaningful, lovely, unprecedented grace. Like, this is what Jesus is trying to paint here. It's like, I'm gonna take the most extreme sum of money that someone could possibly owe, not remotely serviceable. No way this person could ever pay this off. And here in this moment, just in a sense of feeling, in this, this deep sense of, um, of feeling for another human, this king forgives. This is what Jesus is trying to paint. Unprecedented grace. That's the story. Of forgiveness, the kingdom of God is like unprecedented grace. The kingdom of God is like forgiveness experienced. Here's some things about forgiveness, right? Forgiveness liberates us. Forgiveness liberates us to, to dream. It liberates us. It liberates us to live differently. It liberates us to build relationships without any sort of, any sort of um, uh, predispositions or, 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 or restraint. Forgiveness liberates us to participate in the world in a different way. This is what forgiveness does. This guy no longer has the burden of debt hanging over his head. In a moment, bang, gone. Like we. I'm sure that there's a lot of you who are like servicing mortgages or paying off cars or, or, or whatever. Like we know what it's like to, to to you know you have your money come in payday right, pretty exciting. And then you also know that there's a bunch of bills coming and it's oh man, it's also I've also got to redo the ridge on my car this month and we've got people coming to stay, so probably. Probably our food bill's gonna go up a little bit. You, and like you know that, you know that burden where it's like suddenly you're writing things down on a bit of paper and you're looking at it and you're like, oh, I thought I was in the positive, but actually like I'm getting kind of close to that line a little bit and it gets a little bit uncomfortable. And it's just like a it's like a tiny example, but like we can we can resonate with that. But a moment of forgiveness liberates us from that, not just like financially, but like but but relationally. Spiritually, vocationally, the way that we work, forgiveness liberates us to live differently. Forgiveness also eradicates our fear. Because so much of how how we experience the other person and even how we experience God can, can create anxieties and uncertainties and doubts in our life. And so when we experience a moment of forgiveness, when in an instant it's like, you know what? Don't even worry about it when we experience that, it, it eradicates the fear. Because it instills a belief. I don't know, it's like if I, if I had all this debt and suddenly someone wiped it and they're like, no, you, you, should go, you should go and pursue your dreams or something. It's like, oh, like maybe that feels something like belief or invitation. So an experience of forgiveness also eradicates the fear. And if it doesn't eradicate it, it certainly certainly gives us the strength to overcome it or to move past it or to move through it. And forgiveness, and this is what's, what, we, what we need to take from the story as well, is that forgiveness assumes transformation. You know, I'm always really interested in the stories in the Gospels where, where Jesus heals someone, you know? Uh, and and he, says, he says, you know, go away and sin no more. And we often like, we often don't really ever hear about what what goes on after that, but you you get the sense every person in Scripture that encounters Jesus leaves and their life is changed. You know, you think about uh, you think about the the adulterous woman who was brought before him, and, and there's this whole crowd who gathered to stone her, and Jesus says, "Well, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone," and then. Eventually these people move away and there's just Jesus and this woman left and, and he just says, go and sin no more. It's like you, you suspect in this moment of grace, in this moment of forgiveness, that she, that she probably went and sinned no more. That's kind of the assumption you get. You, like we don't know, but the assumption is there. Forgiveness assumes transformation. It's like something in this moment must happen to us. Like there must be something that kind of captivates and challenges us and and stirs us towards something new. And it's implicitly assumed in in the story because it's actually what the story then moves on to. Because you've got this guy who's now been forgiven all of this debt and he goes out and then he finds someone else who owes him a hundred denarii, which is basically like a hundred days work. Okay, so say three months work. If, like that's, that's a believable amount of debt. So Jesus has moved from this like absolutely crazy, ridiculous number and moved towards this like very believable debt that exists. And yet this guy, the servant who's received this forgiveness, who's encountered a moment of grace, is unwilling to forgive another human. And it's like he experienced this forgiveness, but he wasn't transformed by it. It had no impact, no bearing. It's like there was no, there was no uh, shift. There was no movement in his life towards the new and the beautiful. There was no movement towards the kingdom. It was very much like a, I'm still living in a checks and balances type of mentality. And so this story has a warning label built into it. And this is where it becomes quite quite uncomfortable for us a little bit because it's quite easy to talk about forgiveness. It's a lot harder to talk about separation. But this is where the story goes. This is what is is kind of being unpacked in this parable by Jesus. Because the kingdom of God this, this unprecedented grace, this forgiveness experienced, it flips the scripts, it, uh, script. It changes the game. Checks and balances don't mean anything when grace reigns supreme. The warning is this, don't miss the story. Don't miss the opportunity to step into the new thing because if you insist on living by old ways and own by old ways and your own ways and selfish ways you will get to participate in exactly the thing that you want to participate in we see this the same sort of mentality come through in other, ta- uh, in other teachings of Jesus. Whenever the idea of separation comes up, in Matthew 25, when it talks about um, how we treat the broken and the oppressed and the poor, the same thing. You know, Jesus says, you know, those who, have, who looked after me when I, was, when I was naked and when I was hungry and when I needed shelter, they're the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God. And those who didn't, won't. And then all his disciples are like, when did we ever see you like that, Jesus? And he said, man, every time you treated the least of these people in society, that's, how, that's when you treated me that way. There is this emphasis on like, don't miss the story. Don't miss the way it's supposed to change our life. When you experience something, that you're invited to embody that and to discover that and to, and to live it out and, and um, own it in every aspect of your life, every encounter, every opportunity. And it's like if you, if you miss that, you just end up getting, getting sucked into like some old way. You end up getting caught up in like the, the details and the nitty gritty and you, and you end up with separation from the good, new, incredible story that's happening. And the invitation of the story is this, don't miss out on that. And I want you to think about that for a second because it, 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 is, it is uncomfortable and but we know something of this. If you think about any moment in your life where you haven't forgiven someone, when you've carried something like this with you, I mean, I could be the only person here, but I suspect not. But man, I've, I've had relationships with people in my life that have, that have sort of, that stuck with me for a number of years. And I would be in like, I would be in weird moments. I would be like in the shower, or I would be driving somewhere, uh, or I'd be standing in line at a uh, subway or something, and like, like a weird little like, memory of a person of, or of this conversation would trigger something, and I would just feel so bitter and so angry. And I was like, "Man, I haven't spoken to that person in four years. Why am I feeling this? Why am I holding on to this? Like I became a slave to it. I became entrapped by it, and it becomes your own form of torture. We're perfectly capable of creating our own hell when we choose to not participate in the world around us, in this new agenda of the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is this incredible thing because it doesn't just liberate, uh, like liberate these other people from what they've done to us, but it, it liberates us, our own forgiveness, not just from God, but our own forgiveness towards other people liberates us to live in a meaningful way liberates us to live free of those things. And I want to say a few things about that as well because I, I just want to clarify a little bit. Forgiveness does not always mean that we forget or that we have to be in relationship with the people who have hurt us or that we pretend like things are okay or anything like that. Right? Forgiveness is about stepping in and moving towards the new and the good and the beautiful it's our forgiveness that gives us the opportunity to move forward and to discover the new things in our life. That's why forgiveness of others is important. And I also just want to say, like, reconciliation is a different thing. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you, that you have to reconcile, because sometimes people don't want to reconcile with us. And reconciliation takes, takes two to tango. That's something you have to both sit down and want. But, but there are, some of us will be carrying stories or carrying relationships or, or, or experiences that have deeply hurt and affected us for a long time, and have affected us for a really long time. And reconciliation might not be possible, but forgiveness certainly is. You can forgive someone from afar, and it can liberate you to move towards the new and the good and the beautiful. And every time we choose forgiveness, every time we move towards forgiveness, there is a movement towards life. And that movement towards life is the invitation of the kingdom of God to discover life as it's meant to be, to discover life in partnership with God and embodying the kingdom and learning to move in the rhythms of love and grace. It is a good and meaningful thing. And so I think that when we come to this story, when we come to a parable like this, there's an opportunity for us to address some of these areas that are in our own lives. Because this isn't just a story for people who knew what talents and denaries were. This is a story that means something to people who know what dollars and cents are. Because it's the, the idea of forgiveness and the invitation of the kingdom has spanned the last 2,000 years. It's trickled down through all of humanity and it, and it, it still bears weight now for us. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like unprecedented grace and a movement towards forgiveness, and there's something meaningful that takes place in our lives when we take that seriously.